Well, back during the Sundays of December, as we made our way towards Christmas, we read and heard the words of the prophets telling us that there was one who was coming who was going to fulfill hopes and dreams that were deeper than any had ever dared to imagine. These last few weeks, we've read about the introductions of Jesus and the ministry that he began in and around Galilee. Over these next few Sundays now, we're going to read the stories of Jesus as he begins his ministry and the announcement that he, in fact, is the one we've been waiting for. He didn't necessarily look like what people were expecting. He didn't always do what people were wanting. But nevertheless, he is the fulfillment of the long hopes and dreams. The gospel writer Matthew goes out of his way to make that point for us over and over again throughout his readings. He will refer us back to the Old Testament prophecies to make sure we see the connections between the events of Jesus' life and that which the prophets Foretold. And so these next few Sundays, we'll be looking together in some of the episodes in Matthew's gospel to begin to see how Jesus fulfills what was promised. Today, we look in the fourth chapter of Matthew's gospel. I would invite you to join me there in case you're unfamiliar with how the New Testament is put together. Matthew is very easy to find. It is the very first book of the New Testament. And we'll be looking in the fourth chapter, beginning in verse 18. Let me invite you to follow along as we read together. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be unto God. Well, like uh, many other families who are in a similar season of life as we are, we in our household are hot and heavy into the college application process. Now, in case you're unfamiliar with how this works, there's two important steps. You have to get them in the right order. First, you figure out which school your kids want to go to, and then second, you figure out which bank you're going to rob. And I'm only kidding about one of those two things. (laughs) I think we can all agree that a good education 
It's a key to anybody's success in life. doesn't matter whether we're talking high school or trade school or college or any other arena of learning. The ability to acquire and apply knowledge is critical. But in our time and in our historical context, we have a very specific and I would argue maybe somewhat limited understanding of where and how that happens. When I say the word education, most of us think about a formal classroom setting in which students go to sit while a teacher delivers a lesson or provides a lecture. And in our popular way of thinking about this, the teacher is actively dispensing knowledge and the student is passively absorbing the knowledge. Now, a good educator will tell you that in reality, the learning environment is far more dynamic than that. There's far more going on than that simple one-way exchange of information. But in the common way of thinking, we have this sort of uh, mug and jug approach to teaching that, that the teacher is a, a jug filled with information and he or she is simply pouring that information into the student's empty mug. But in the ancient world, there was a different way of thinking. Education was very important then, just as it is now, but it was understood to happen in a slightly different way. Rather than going off to a classroom for some predetermined number of hours at a set point each day, instead you learned by attaching yourself to a teacher or a master and then simply following that person around as he went about life. And in most cases it was a he. The idea was to simply be with that person, to follow that person with enough frequency, enough intensity, enough intentionality that you began to learn to imitate him, to say what he said, to think what he thought, to do what he did. The closest thing we can identify in today's context would be something similar to an apprenticeship in which a, a learner or a student goes and follows a master around who is performing some craft or vocation, and, and the student simply learns to imitate the ways of the master until he or she has acquired those abilities. Now, in those days, in the ancient world, if you had that kind of relationship with a teacher, you were called a disciple. Now, in our modern church understanding, we tend to think of disciple as a distinctly Christian thing. But in that day and time, the word disciple applied to anybody who was learning the ways of a master. And just as importantly, anybody who was considered to have knowledge or insight or wisdom, anybody who was considered to be the preserver of some tradition or some philosophy might be viewed as a master worthy of having disciples. They didn't have to have some piece of paper that certified them. They simply had to have uh, enough public following. Lots of people fit that description. We know, for example, from the Bible that John the Baptist had disciples. That the Apostle Paul had disciples. That the Apostle Peter had disciples. That is to say, people who followed them around to learn what they had to teach them, to receive the tradition that they were passing along. And just as importantly, and perhaps not surprisingly, Jesus had disciples. Jesus, after all, was a master teacher. It was one of the things that was most readily identifiable about him. He was called rabbi, a word which simply loosely translated means teacher. He was a master teacher. 
Even those who didn't follow him recognized that he had authority when he taught. And in the fourth chapter of Matthew's gospel, which we have turned to today, we read Matthew's version of the story about the calling of those very first people who followed Jesus, who became his disciples. In a few short verses, we read about the calling of Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And from there, he would go on to call eight more disciples, men who would leave behind their formal way of life and attach themselves to Jesus and simply follow him around as he went about the business of doing his ministry that they might learn from him. They became students in the Jesus school, if you will. But here's the critical thing to understand. As our reading for today makes sense, or makes clear rather, these 12 men weren't the only ones who followed Jesus. Now, clearly, these 12 men occupied a central role. They were the inner core of his followers, but they were representative of a much larger group of people, of others who also took up his way of life and began to learn from him. For example, if we were to turn over to Luke's gospel, which is the third book in the New Testament, which just tells a different version of the same story. In Luke chapter 6, verse 13, we get this interesting allusion. Uh, Luke tells us that out of all of Jesus' quote, disciples, he called the twelve. In other words, the twelve were, again, representative of a larger group and so this morning, I want us to very l briefly look at the calling of these first 12 disciples to, to see what lessons there are for us in our calling as disciples. Because what Jesus did in and through them is the same thing he's trying to do in and through us. He's still in the business of calling disciples, and the patterns that applied then still apply now. Now, we're not going to be too clever about this. We're simply going to lay out some notable observations that I think are still relevant for us. And let's begin with the obvious. It is this. Jesus sought out people to follow him. Now, that might seem like an obvious statement. But it's important to understand that in that day and time, that was a serious break from tradition. You see, according to the customs of the day, a master... A teacher did not go around seeking people to come follow him. It actually was supposed to work in exactly the opposite direction. A would-be disciple was supposed to seek out a teacher or a master. If there was somebody you deemed worthy of following, somebody whose way of life you wanted to emulate, somebody whose philosophy and worldview you wanted to adopt, it was your job to go to them and seek out the opportunity to follow them. Much like a student today must apply to the schools. The schools don't come looking for you. You have to go looking for them. Well, that's how it was supposed to work in that day. It was considered beneath the dignity of a master to go seek out followers. If he was really good at what he did, others should come flocking to him. And then it was up to the master to decide whether or not to grant admission to that seeker into his or her entourage. But either way, the onus was on you to be the starter of that relationship. But as with so many other things, Jesus flipped that upside down. He did what was considered beneath the dignity of a master by going and seeking out people to follow him. You'll notice that in the way Matthew tells the story, there is no hint that Simon Peter, 
or Andrew or James or John or for that matter any of the others showed previously any interest in following Jesus. Jesus wasn't following up on some lead he'd been given about people who had expressed interest in him. In fact, the way the story is told, it feels kind of abrupt, maybe even a little bit intrusive, because Jesus just walks up out of the blue one day and says, hey, you, why don't you in this moment drop everything and come and follow me? To our amazement, they do. Now, it might be psychologically interesting to explore some of the reasons why they would do that. Why in the instant would they suddenly leave behind everything they've known to go follow somebody they've just met? But, but here's the critical point I want us to understand this morning. While Jesus' actions in calling these people to follow him might have been out of step with the traditions of his day, it was not out of step with the character of God. Because from beginning to end, the Bible portrays God as the one who is pursuing us. Even though we are the ones who have rebelled against Him, even though we are the ones who have offended Him, even though we are the ones who have been guilty of breaking off the relationship, God is not sitting passively in heaven waiting to see if we will seek Him out. Instead, He comes in pursuit of us. I'm sure I've said this before, but I think it's important we wrap our heads around this. In, in popular ways of understanding, religion, generally thought of, is considered to be the name we give to mankind's quest for God. There's this idea that we all have this yearning within us, and we're all seeking something out, and, and the name we give to that seeking is, is religion, and at the end of the day, all religions are ultimately the same because it's all just mankind searching for God or for whatever it is that's out there beyond the great unknown. But here's the challenge I would issue you today. I challenge you to go home this afternoon and find one story in the Bible, just one story, that begins with somebody seeking God out. And I will tell you in advance, you won't find one. Because every story in there begins with God seeking us out. He is always the initiator of the conversation. He is always the beginner of the relationship. It is always God who is looking for us. In Romans 5 verse 8 it says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so Jesus goes off in search of people to follow him. And in so doing, he is just doing what God has always done. And the good news, it is what he is still doing now. Right here and now, Jesus is seeking us out. He's pursuing you and he's pursuing me in whatever walk of life we may be in. And he's saying, hey you, why don't you come and follow me? Now, maybe you hear that as good news to know that, that God is pursuing you, that he loves you enough to want you. Or maybe you hear it as bad news because you want God to leave you alone and just let you live your life on your terms. But either way, this is the heart of the gospel. God loves us too much to leave us alone. And so right now, he is pursuing you, and he is pursuing me in the same way that he sought out Peter and Andrew and James and John and all of the others. He is seeking us out, and he is saying to us, why don't you come 
and follow me? Why don't you come be a part of my life? Here's the second noteworthy point that we should absorb here today, and it is this. Jesus seeks out people who aren't qualified for what he's asking them to do. Neither Peter, nor Andrew, nor James, nor John, nor any of the other eight disciples had any prior experience or any prior qualifications that made them worthy for what Jesus was offering them. Most of the disciples, not all, but most of them were just ordinary fishermen. Now, that day and time, being a fisherman wasn't necessarily the lowliest of vocations, but it certainly wasn't the most noble either. It was just a working man's trade, which is just another way of saying these were just regular people doing regular work. They didn't have any religious training. They'd never given any speeches. They'd never run for public office. They had no special skills other than the ability to read the wind and the waves and figure out where the fish were. And frankly, I don't even think they were real good at that because every time we read about them fishing, the nets always come back empty. It's good news for all of us. And yet Jesus sought them out. Regardless of their qualifications or their lack thereof, he said to them, you know what? You look like exactly the kind of people I want to build my kingdom around. Why don't you come and be my disciples? Once again, this is in keeping with the pattern God has always lived by. Throughout the Bible, God calls people into service who have no unique abilities or special skills. And in some cases, he calls people who seem to have exactly the opposite of the skills that the circumstances would seem to ask for. God calls Abraham and Sarah, who quite frankly are old people, well past their childbearing years. And he says, you know what? You look like exactly the kind of people I want to father a new family. Why don't you leave everything And come live the life I will show you. Moses had a speech impediment. He couldn't talk well. And yet God called him to be his mouthpiece. To go down and talk to Pharaoh. And demand the release of his people. David was just a kid. An amateur musician at best. And a young shepherd. And yet God said you know what. You're exactly the kind of person I want to be. The new king for my country. Paul, get this, the Apostle Paul was an enemy of Christ and a persecutor of Christ's followers. And yet God said, you're exactly the person I want to come and be my apostle, to become the greatest church planter and missionary in history. Time and again, God calls people who have not demonstrated any ability to do the thing he's calling them to do. And so maybe the calling of Peter and the others in today's story shouldn't strike us as odd at all. It's just how God works. The good news and the bad news is that Jesus is seeking us out to come and be his disciples regardless of whether we think we're qualified for it or not. The good news is we don't have to qualify. The bad news is that takes away all of our excuses. You know, maybe you're new to this whole Christianity thing. Maybe you didn't grow up in church. You don't have a spiritual background. Maybe you don't know Christian theology from a hole in the ground. Well, guess what? Neither did Peter or James or Andrew. In fact, Christian theology hadn't even been written yet. 
And yet Jesus had come. Follow me. Or, or maybe you, you have a Christian background. You grew up in church and you've had a pretty ordinary, vanilla-flavored Christian life so far. Nothing spectacular. No miracles to attribute you to. No, no great speeches that you've ever delivered. Just a, an ordinary life. That's exactly the kind of life that Peter and James and John and the others lived. Or maybe you say, I, I've made too many mistakes. I've got too much baggage behind me. I've, I've screwed up too many things. I've hurt too many people. I've gotten too many things wrong. Just remember that the man we call the Apostle Paul had the blood of believers on his hands. And yet it's hard to imagine where the church would be today if God had not called him. So whoever we are, wherever we are, whatever we think our qualifications might be or might not be, Jesus is seeking us out, asking us to come and be his disciples. One final point to note. None of these newly called disciples could have known what the future had in store for them when they agreed to follow Jesus. And if I can be real honest with you for a moment, that might be a good thing. Because their futures would be filled with struggle. We don't know with absolute precision, but, but to the best of our knowledge, 11 of the original 12 disciples died violent deaths as martyrs for Christ. And the 12th one, the one who wasn't martyred, he was shipped off into exile. That was their reward for being faithful students of Jesus and I can't help but wonder if on that day, standing on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, if, if Jesus could have flipped on a projector and shown them images of their future and what was in store, would they have taken the offer? Or would they have said, you know what, I think I'm fine right here. I think I'll just continue to live my quiet little life here in this fishing village. But they didn't. They chose to cast their lots with the one who had sought them out, and as a result, their ordinary and obscure little lives got caught up in this grand adventure that was bigger than anything they could have imagined. And while most of the disciples fade from focus as the New Testament unfolds, they were nevertheless critical players in a movement that turned the world upside down. These otherwise ordinary disciples, they were men whose lives were involved in altering the course of history forever because of what they shared with Jesus. And while I'm sure that none of them wanted to suffer, I'm also relatively sure that by the time that suffering came, they reached a point in their journey where they were glad their lives had been swept up into this kingdom that God was bringing to pass in Jesus Christ because it meant that their lives were no longer obscure and ordinary. Just consider the fact that here we are, over 2,000 years later, still reading stories about these otherwise ordinary fishermen from Galilee. They might not have known what was in store, but what was in store was greater and bigger than anything they could have dreamed of. 
And the same offer is being held out for us. Come and follow me, Jesus says, and I will take your ordinary lives and I will sweep them up into this cosmic adventure of salvation and you will be a part of something that is eternal. We were all stunned a week ago to learn of the death of basketball great Kobe Bryant. He was undeniably one of the best players in the history of professional basketball and maybe one of the greatest professional athletes to ever live. And, and so Bryant came about as close as you can come to achieving immortal status according to popular culture. And then in one tragic instant he was gone. Now, lots of, frankly, painful lessons we can learn there, but for our purposes this morning, consider this. As great a player as he was, 100 years from now, very few people will remember Kobe Bryant's accomplishments on the basketball court. And I dare say that 200 years from now, hardly anybody will remember his name. Now, I don't say that to heap any condemnation or criticism upon him. He was a great basketball player, and by all accounts, he was a great guy. But at the end of the day, it was just basketball. Now, if that's true for him, who achieved such greatness in popular culture, then how much more is it true for us? We spend our lives pursuing so many things and pouring our lives into things that we think have significance And yet, a hundred years from now, do you think many people are going to be sitting around talking about where we went to school or what houses we lived in or or what we did for a living? Two hundred years from now, will people even still be speaking our names? Probably not. See, most of our lives will go down in the annals of obscurity. But here's the good news. Our ordinary, obscure lives can be swept up into something that is eternal. Jesus invites us to come be a part of his life and to become part of the cosmic work that God is doing to redeem and renew the world. And while, frankly, most of us will play pretty ordinary rules in that, roles in that work by human standards, they are roles nevertheless in a kingdom that God is building, which will never fail. So when Jesus seeks us out and says, hey, why don't you come and follow me? Maybe, maybe we should take him up on the offer. Let's pray together. Gracious and eternal God, we stand in awe of the fact that you would pursue the likes of such as us, that you would desire to have people such as us to come and build your kingdom with. And yet we offer ourselves to you grateful for the offer of grace and mercy. 
and asking that you would take us and use us in ways that we cannot imagine to accomplish what only you can. And we make this prayer in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.